0: Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth, because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We are passionate about helping God's children live in freedom. We would love to chat with you online or on social media. Visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I'm a mom who hates to see my daughter struggle. I hate to see her experience pain. And if I'm not careful, my anxiety can cause me to rescue her and, and to potentially stunt her growth and to stunt her faith and her dependence on Christ. To love our kids well, we must find the courage to let them fail. And this is such a hard confusing concept to grasp, to really live out, which is why I have brought a licensed mental health counselor with us today. She's a mom herself, and she's going to be speaking to us on how we can, why we need to have the courage to let our kids fail and how we can do that well. And so Brenda Yoder is here. Hi, Brenda. Thank you for joining
1: us. Hi, Jennifer. I'm glad to be here.
0: So, Brenda Yoder, she's a speaker, she's an author, she's a licensed mental health counselor, school counselor, and life coach whose passion is encouraging others when life doesn't fit the storybook image. Wow, that's like always. Her book, Fledge, Launching Your Kids Without Losing Your Mind, is a handbook for parents in the season of raising and releasing kids. She's host of the Fledge Parent Facebook Forum and will be launching a new podcast for midlife moms called Midlife Mom Matters in March with Amelia Rhodes. Brenda's been featured in Guideposts and Chicken Soup for the Soul books and the Washington Post. She's a former teacher. And she twice received the Touchstone Award for Teachers. Her ministry and podcast, Life Beyond the Picket Fence, is found at brendayoder.com. We'll put that in the show notes, where she writes about faith, life, and family beyond the storybook image. You'll be able to find that forum and then also just Mm -hmm. resources on her website as well. So I know this is a topic, actually, that you are pretty passionate about, just the courage to let our kids fail.
1: I am. There's a term that I learned as a school counselor, as we were working in an intervention team, and one of my colleagues left, and they said, don't steal the struggle. And that was an admonishment to us as educators of not coming to the rescue of children all the time, because we know as educators, and as a counselor, I know that We have to have resistance. We have to know how to persevere. We need to know how to build those strong muscles. And our children need to develop those strong muscles. In fact, fledge is the process of a young bird developing strong wing feathers that are ready for flight. And God's image of children going into their own world from the home of origin is that image of parents releasing arrows and psalm 127 says like arrows in the hands of warriors and so a warrior is someone who is strong it is someone who who fights but also nurtures and i know as a therapist and as a former high school teacher so i taught juniors and seniors for for the majority of the years that i taught in a classroom and i've counseled a lot of young adults And the one thing that most young adults and especially uh, seniors, juniors and seniors really struggle with is them having validity in their own minds, them having parents who believe in them. And, you know, my own young adult just said something that has really impacted me. I have four kids and so we're still in the process of releasing our youngest. We have one in college, we have one who's 23, so a recent college graduate, and then uh, young married and then we also have an older one. So our kids are have been missionaries. So I've been doing all of this while I've been writing about it and speaking about it. But one of my own young adults said that in this pandemic they're really frustrated because they have not been able to take a risk and fail. Wow. And I was like, wow, what do you mean by that? And this is my one who has, big dreams. And he feels stifled and unable to reach those dreams and goals. Because in order to do that, you do have to take a risk, you do have to step out there, which involves failure of some sort. And the reason that failure or the reason that failure is so important during the young adult and teen years is because that's when there's still a safety net underneath our kids of parents who when they're in the home as teenagers and we're still raising them, we still have the ability you know, to guide them and support them. When they're young adults, that guidance is less and yet it is essential because one thing that I have seen through this pandemic and through the inability of teens and young adults to have the regular processes of being on their own and testing the waters And taking some of those risks is that there's become an increase of anxiety of not being able to do things, of literally feeling frozen because they're, they're unable to do what God has naturally designed teen and young adults to do.
0: Wow. That's really powerful. And I think sometimes, at least for me, when I feel anxiety rise up and, and honestly, a lot of my anxiety center around just being a mom, like those are the mm-hmm. things that are going to grasp me the most. And I have to kind of pause and say, okay, what am I really afraid of in this moment? And a lot of times if I take a step back, it's that my daughter won 't have the the life that I want her to have or or the life maybe even that she wants to have. I know when she was in college, and so you were actually you counseled me through mm-hmm. a a really difficult time in her college career, and she shared on previous episodes she had has two learning disabilities that we didn 't recognize until midway through college, so she didn 't have the adaptations and probably the training that we might've given her prior. And there were times she would come to me in, in just tears and she was receiving so much feedback that she was never going to make it. You're not going to do this. You don't have what it takes. And my husband and I were listening to her and it was hard in that, in that moment, because honestly, we didn't know if she was going to make it through college. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then what do you say four years later? And, and we had to, And I had to wrestle in myself, okay, so if she doesn't make it through college, what, what will happen? Like what's plan B or what will, but I think that's what that fear of our kids not having long-term success relationally or, or academically. And so what would you say as far as how does our reaction in those moments impact their long-term success?
1: Mm -hmm. I think it sends a lot of messages. And so if you think about it this way, if you think about your child when they're really young and they're just learning how to walk, right? What do parents do? We we say, yeah, you can do it. You can do it because we know, first of all, that they can do it because developmentally it's appropriate and they need to do it. They need to know how to walk because without it, their legs aren't going to be strong enough. You know, we're not going to be carrying them around when they're four or five years old, whatever. It's the same way with the developmental stage of releasing. In fact, so if you can if you can imagine that really no matter how we old we are, we still look to our parents for their assurance, for their encouragement, for their affirmation. And so when when our teens and young adults are going into these spaces that are now their own spaces, just as when they were toddlers or preschoolers or early elementary kids where they're going out in these, these new spaces. And we know that they need to do it without us. Right. And we know that they need to grow in autonomy and independence. It's the same way. So when you have a, an 18 year old or a 20 year old, or even a 24 year old, who's, who's, who looks to their parent for that affirmation for that, you can do this for that. You know what, if you try it and it doesn't work, well there's plenty of options out there when when what they get is hand-wringing, micromanaging, all of that undercuts their ability and i've heard it i've heard it from again young adults that i've worked with who have have literally said that from their mouth but when i think about even my own kids i have a girl and then three boys and they're all 3 years apart so we have always kind of had someone in this stage of either entering high school, leaving high school, having one in college. We've always had someone going into a a large developmental stage at every, kind of at every turn. For my own kids, we've always had someone who has been at a significant developmental stage. And so our kids are all three years apart, so we've always kind of had one Who's either starting high school, leaving high school, starting college or leaving college. And what I've learned, especially from my sons, is that they don't want mom over in the corner kind of wringing her hands and, oh, are you going to be okay? Like if we really think about that from their perspective, does that help them or does that hurt them? that puts significant doubts in their minds that they can really do their own life. And throughout FLEDGE, I say that our job parenting is active parenting until they cross that graduation stage. Like we don't give up, no, we don't go into co-pilot where we just kind of, um, well, you know, you're a senior now, there's not really much I can do, just kind of do your own thing. No, they still need guidance, but once they're really supposed to be on their own, even if they're living in your house, there are developmentally appropriate things that we really do need to take our hands off and let them struggle and let them really find who they are, what their strengths are. The more that they can learn about themselves rather than what we tell them about themselves, the more ownership they're going to have in their own life. And that's part of why we have a crisis among um, you know, 30-somethings all the way through the current teenage um, population of anxiety and depression and inability to um, stay at something that requires a lot of hard work or perseverance, whether it's relationships or a job or whatever, is because we have put this perception on, I think, our kids that if they don't succeed and what we think success looks like, then they're a failure. And then what? When in reality, generations before us, have not worried so much about what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. They really have figured things out along the way and worked hard for what they wanted. And as parents, that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give them is the affirmation that they really can do it if they want to. They may fail, but it's not a failure at that thing. Everything that we learn isn't for us or that we learn we don't want to do is actually a stepping stone to know more about ourselves and more of what we do want to do and how we, how we process things, how we learn. It's, it's all a process and it's not a race. And, you know, you
0: talked about the anxiety, like the wringing of our hands. I think sometimes parental fears can come out the other way of you'd mentioned briefly micromanaging, so like mm-hmm. criticizing if they make a mistake, and and I I find I when she was growing up I could lean either way. Like when my anxiety would come up, I could either become critical of her, and usually it came from the same place. It was from a place of fear, either fear that I was failing as a mom. That was often actually. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then I put that on her or fear that something wasn't going to work out for her. And she said something to me the other day, she's an adult now as well. And she was talking about her. We went through this tense period when she was kind of transitioning into adulthood where I was over advising mm-hmm. and she would get frustrated. And she told me later, so she, she said, well, mom, I already felt like I didn't know what I was doing as an adult. And so when you did that, it made me feel even more like I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, wow, if I would have known that in the moment, I would have pulled back.
1: Right, right. And I think what you just labeled is so significant and it's so important is as our kids get older, we have to really start seeing our role diminish in their life. And that's hard, right? Because we, we bring them home as babies, but really the minute they come home as babies or those adoption papers are signed, God has designed them to walk out the door. I'm, I'm watching my own grandson. We have a brand new grandson who's six months old and I'm, I'm seeing this process play out before my eyes with my um, son and daughter-in-law. And so the fledging process really does start from that very first night. And as our children grow, I think as moms what's so hard is that we know them so intimately and yet what God has taught me and it's been humbling as he has taught me is that I don't know everything about my kids. And it was when my own, when my firstborn, my daughter was going to college several States away and she was a senior. It was actually probably about this time of the year. And she was needing to make a decision about college and I was kind of just thinking in my mind, you know, when she comes home this weekend or, you know, when she's around this weekend, I need to just tell her she needs to make the decision about this particular college. that was closer to home and God just stopped me in my tracks. And he said, Brenda, I'm working in her life. And if you don't back off, you're going to mess things up. And then he told me, I am calling her far away because I'm calling her even farther away. And that was true. He has called her to be a full-time missionary and she has lived in Guatemala and she's lived in Mexico for several years doing orphan care and just recently has moved back to the United States with the same organization. And, um, but it was a very big turning point for me as a parent. I realized that he was working in her life just as he's, working in each of my other children's lives, as in all of our children's lives, we may not acknowledge that. Like how how prideful is that of us as parents or as moms especially to think, I know what's best for my child's life when we do not because we are not in the intimate relationship between them and God. And it's a relationship that doesn't happen just when God, when they accept Christ as their Savior. And that's the, the other thing I think as parents we tend to micromanage is by 18 they have to somehow, you know, profess faith in Christ when really God has created them for a lifetime. And, you know, we, I think as a culture, we've seen so many Christian kids who have kind of been guided by their parents to accept their faith. And then when they do go out on their own, they tend to reject that faith instead of opening our children really to the Lord and presenting them and saying, Lord, he's yours and you work in their life, and I trust you. And the one thing that I have had to learn as a parent, and we've been through some really rough times with some of our kids. I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, and the one thing that God has taught me is that, just like Abraham, God calls us to lay our children down on on the altar as a sacrifice to him. Trusting that God is going to provide. And I, I can tell you there have been times where I have poured my heart out um, on my living room floor, with a box of Kleenexes all about because I have poured out my heart to the Lord over one of my kids literally saying like, I'm handing this over to you. Um, You've got to do something. And I can tell you that trusting the Lord with your kids is a much safer and empowering place than trying to micromanage them. But it's a a place of humility because it means that our kids will fail. And some of those so-called failures will be, things that don't seem appropriate in a Christian world, or it may be the rejecting of, of of the faith or life choices that may disappoint us. But at the end of the day, um, God has created us to nurture our children and to have their back and to point, point their heart towards him. And we can't point their heart towards him without releasing it.
0: You know, I love in, in your story with your daughter. So by you releasing her to make her own college decisions, you were giving her a space where she could seek God's will for herself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's really important. I remember when my daughter was young and I was reading scripture to her at night and she would ask me questions. And, and one night I just sensed God saying to me, don't give her all the answers, Mm -hmm. you know, have her come to me for the answers. And it was just a, a realization that kind of like what you're saying, I could increasingly teach her to turn to me Mm -hmm or or to turn to Jesus and I noticed some emotion when you talk about your daughter being in Guatemala and I'm sure because I know I when my daughter got married it was a beautiful time but it was also that releasing right and I'm like okay the relationship is changing and I had to first recognize and then grieve it I actually cried (laughs) the entire drive home one night after visiting her in her apartment it's a beautiful I love her husband but it's just a change in our relationship and I think sometimes our grief gets tied up in this. And and that's where if we, I think sometimes, at least for me, if I don't recognize kind of all the different emotions that are going on, then I just lump it all in like, it's just fear, anxiety, I've got to do this. And then I, I don't move forward. And so, you know, what, what would you say to parents? How can they begin to kind of unpack that? I guess.
1: Yeah, so the simple answer would be to read Fledge because the first chapter is all about grief, and I name all the different types mm-hmm. of grief. Um, but I'm not here to really to promote. This book was really written um, just from my heart for myself and every other mom who's in this stage because uh, I wrote it in between my third and fourth leaving. So it was when my third third out of four was was leaving, and I was I was stuck in grief. I was, I like cried. It felt like I cried the whole summer that my third left for college because so much was changing. And, um, but there are different types of grief. And as I've done workshops and, and retreats on this, what I've heard is that defining the different types of grief is so important. And I'll just mention a few of those. Um, you know, there's the sadness of your family changing. And there's the grief of, of that particular child who's leaving and the relationship, you know, that you have with them. And then there's even grief that sometimes mom have of the loss of childbearing. I mean, I had that. I wanted a taglon for a long time. Um, don't anymore. But I did for, I did for a while. Um, there's grief of regret, which is something that I, I had. I was um, a very reactionary mom with my older two when they were young. And so I have grieved a lot of my own loss and pain that has been inflicted by me because I did the best with what I knew. Um, So there's, there's that type of regret or um, grief over our children who perhaps have um, a disability or some type of adversity that robs them from the childhood that you would hope that they would have had. That would be a more carefree childhood. And then there's the, the grief of regret, right? There's, uh, grief of regret and disappointment disappointment in your children um, there are a lot of types of grief where parents during this stage really do grieve who their children have become and unfortunately, I hear that so much and I would really just want to encourage anyone in this uh, who's listening who's in this stage of life really doesn't matter how old your children are they could be forty and you still have grief over who they have become or what their, their life choices have been. And I just want to say that to, to release that or work through that with, with God, because you know, our children don't change from that little baby that we loved when they were young. That's still the same person. Loving them does not mean that you right condone everything that they're doing, but their personhood is different from their behavior. And I think that that's just something that we get enmeshed together is that their behavior is who they are when really who they are is, is not their behavior. And God doesn't look at us that way. God looks at us and loves us for the whole person of who we are. And he's provided, um, uh, he's, he wants a relationship so much with us that he sent his son to die so that he can have a relationship with us. And we disappoint him all the time because of our behavior. So I just want to really encourage any parent who is struggling with that to work work through that. Your child wants to know at the end of the day that that they are loved for who they are.
0: That's so important. I will say I have read Brenda's book and it is phenomenal. So I would recommend it. I wish I had read it when my daughter was younger. I think it would have been really helpful and really kind of helped clarify some things. I would also encourage listeners, Holy Love Ministries has a mother-daughter conference coming up. And we're going to be talking about parenting from a place of grace and also from a Christ-centered identity. So two things that Brenda just stressed, I encourage you to go to holylove.com to find out more about that. I think sometimes, Brenda, at least for me, a lot of this was really confusing to me when my daughter was young, knowing, and, and you and I had talked about that when my daughter was in college, knowing what was helpful and what was harmful. And then it was also very hard because I show love. That's just my way of kind of showing love for her. Even now I'll just go to her apartment and clean once in a while, not because she needs it. In fact, sometimes it's annoying and she lets me do it, but it's just, that's been my expression. And sometimes that was a challenge when she was in college and she had her own apartment and you helped me work through that the one thing she was barely barely i didn't recognize how significant her learning disability was how much time it took Mm -hmm. and so it was kind of somebody explained it to me once like if you have all these things on a cart you put one more thing and then something else falls off the cart and so periodically my husband would just go and clean her apartment and um and, and then we'd drive home
1: saying was this enabling and we didn't know. And so, yeah. And I think that difference between enabling and enmeshment, it is a fine line. It, you know, there's, there's, there's a difference of I'm doing it because I want to and I, and, and I, and I love to because it's a blessing to me and it's a blessing to your child. Right. And then there's a difference of doing it for them because we somehow either don't think that they're capable to do it or we need the satisfaction of doing it so much that we don't really release them properly and i think that's often the challenge for moms in their stage of releasing especially when your children become older than 22 or so and i think you know when they're still 19 20 21 22 college age you know there there's still space there of you um kind of being that mom in their life but as they get older Into you know full adulthood, they say the brain is fully developed now at 24 or 25. Uh, There's a time where where we need to recognize that doing things for our kids, if it's because we need it for satisfaction or to make us feel needed or wanted, that's the wrong motive, and that's where as parents, I think, and I think that's the gap for midlife moms is we've done everything for our children for such a long time that our hands feel empty and God is there wanting to fill our hands. And I, I think that's the, the part where enabling and parenting our children can become an idol when we do not allow God to fill the need and, and the contentment that parenting and mothering has given us. And then we learn to mother and parent in different ways that help our children grow and also help us grow. But it's a, it's hard. It, there's just no other way about it. I know that that's one of the the biggest sets of grief that I had when I still had my youngest one, even at home for three years, but I was already crying because my role as mom was change, was going to end. And I still had one in my house. You know, what was that about? I was like missing part of his life because I was so sad that childhood was ending in our home when if I only had one child, you know, like you do, I would not have been grieving that already. I would have been fully embracing um, that time. So it's a learning curve for each of us, but I think as we each seek the Lord and um, I've kind of written some thought provoking questions and some discussion questions through Fledge. And I just actually had a mom email me this past week and said, I took time and did every question and it really convicted and it really helped me grow and I've really written Fledge to really um, cover all the components of what not just a family goes through it's not really a parenting book it's really a book for moms in the season of releasing and it's about parenting but it's also about our own needs and our own changes and grief and marriage and friendship and loss and all of the identity pieces go through also
0: That's awesome. Well, I love, especially what you said about our kids needing struggle and not taking away the struggle. And I love all the resources that you have. Again, I loved her book. If you haven't read it, I would really encourage you to do so. And actually, even if your kids are grown, because I was still able to learn a lot that I can implement with my adult daughter and and really process. Well, thank you for listening. I hope today encouraged you. I hope it maybe gave you some things to think about and maybe some assurances that God is with you in this parenting journey, and he's with your kids. I would love it if you would rate this podcast. It helps others to find it. Make sure to subscribe, then you won't miss a single episode. And until next time, may you live with the courage of one who truly has been set free. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio, and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com.
1: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app, For Christian prayer meditation You can also download the Abide app For biblical meditations At Abide.com